rise for the reading of God's Word. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, chapter by chapter, through the book of Acts. Bible? Anyone? Here we go, up here. Chapter 8 of the book of Acts, verse 26. So exciting as we're going through this book. Uh, Just such a explosive story of God and the Holy Spirit filling the church and what happens when the church is willing to yield to the Holy Spirit. So by the Holy Spirit, this is Luke writing, verse 26. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts in addition to the book of Luke. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you preach Jesus to us this morning. Only in him can we have life. We ask, Lord, that by your word we would have life in him this morning. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that You would use this message in spite of me, Lord. I pray that I would not say anything uh, that would lead people to be confused or not sure of what your word is saying, Lord. I just pray that, Lord, you would guide the words of my mouth, Lord. But I just pray for all of us that our hearts would be prepared for what the Spirit is saying to us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So on the night that Jesus was crucified, he was with, uh, the night rather before he was crucified, he was with the disciples in the upper room at the Last Supper. And he told them that he would be going away, but he said in John 14, verse 18, speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you a little while longer and the world will see me no more. 
But you will see me because I live. You will live also on that day. You will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. How is it that Jesus gets in us? The answer is we receive the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus repeats himself anytime the Lord repeats himself. We need to perk up. We should always be perked up when we read the Bible, but particularly when our Lord repeats himself. He says in John 16, 7, he says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So in John chapter 19, Jesus uh, is crucified. In John chapter 20, uh, he is Raised from the dead after three days, he appears to his disciples in John 20, verse 22. It says that Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, as he did so, receive the Holy Spirit. That verse probably doesn't get enough attention. He said, uh, receive the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens at the time that a man or woman puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 22. I love this verse. It says that we, we studied actually this, uh, this verse for about a half a message on a Sunday morning um, a few years back. Uh, it says in that verse, verse 22 of chapter one of second Corinthians, that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God puts a seal on us. He puts a mark on us. He, uh, another way of saying it literally is he brands us. Uh, not that we're cattle or anything like that, but it's a similar kind of thing. And how does he do that? How does he put a seal on us? It says in verse 22 of that chapter, it says, by giving us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, the verse says. Guarantee of what? Guarantee of heaven. Guarantee of salvation. Uh, that's what it means. And the book of Titus says a similar thing. It says when we're saved, we are saved by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So in John chapter 20, verse 22, when Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, they're receiving the Holy Spirit for salvation, that they would be made blameless and perfect before God. The Bible says that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, at that moment, we are blameless and perfect before God the Father. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. How can anyone be perfect? And the answer is by putting our faith in Christ and being indwelled, being filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. But then, after that happened in John 22... After that occurrence, there's, an, uh, the, there's another event, and that is Jesus speaking to his disciples right before he goes, uh, is taken up into heaven. And at that point, we've read this many times, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem, wait there, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So listen carefully. The Bible teaches that we receive the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation. 
But there's another event which may occur at the time of salvation. It may occur after where the Holy Spirit comes upon us. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus calls this event the promise of the Father. The promise to everyone. Not just to super saints and holy men. It's for everyone. What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming upon us? If we're already saved, why does He have to come upon us? Well, Jesus answers that in the verse we already read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Wait in Jerusalem and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you shall be witnesses. In order for you to be witnesses, to empower you to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we receive the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation... Just as the disciples did in, in, in John chapter 20. But in order to be witnesses to Him. In order to fulfill the calling that God has on your life. And if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a calling on your life. If you don't know what it is, you need to seek the Lord as to what that looks like. What that means. In order to uh, fulfill the calling of your life, we need to be uh, have the Holy Spirit come upon us, what Jesus calls in Acts chapter 1, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, John baptized with water, but um, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so um, that's what happened in, in John, Acts chapter 2. They waited in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. Uh, it says when the day of the Pentecost had, full come, had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And there, suddenly there was a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. And uh, it would fill the whole house where they were sitting. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the, as the Holy Spirit gave utterance. And so that is when the church was born. When was the church started? It started in Acts chapter 2. In the Bible, the church is called the body of Christ. That is not just a metaphor. It's not just symbolic language. It is literally true. Because of what happened in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, fills them, and they become a living, breathing representation of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. Now remember, I sound like a broken record here maybe as we're going through the book of Acts, but I, I don't want you to forget, up until Acts chapter 2, these men, these disciples, looked really nothing like Jesus at all. They fought and they bickered with one another. They boasted. They wanted to wipe people out who didn't want to receive Jesus. They tried to keep children away from Jesus. They tried to stop people from blessing Jesus. Like they tried to stop the w woman at Bethany who was anointing Jesus' feet with expensive uh, fragrant oil. They abandoned Jesus when he got arrested. They hid from, uh, hid, you know, so they wouldn't be caught. They became so discouraged they went back to the very job that uh, Jesus called them from when he first called them, they, they call, were called back and started fishing again, and, and they caught nothing there. You see that in the last book of uh, last chapter of John, and 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 throughout this whole time, the whole ministry, Jesus is repeatedly telling them their behavior. He says, "That's not me. That is not a representation of me." He's just telling them that throughout. 
And all that changes in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they become a living, breathing representation, a reflection of, of Jesus Christ. And, and brothers and sisters, that's who you are called to be. That's who you are called to be. A living, breathing representation of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, uh, we have seen uh, that once filled with the Holy Spirit, the, the, the disciples, or, or rather the church, becomes this unstoppable, powerful, awesome representation of, uh, of God, uh, of the living God on earth. And, and, and you know, that is... The, that is the truth, and we cannot lose sight of that, that the church is such a powerful organism when it is willing to yield to the Holy Spirit. And we see this in Acts chapters 2 through 6. The church just takes off. The church just explode. And, and there's incredible joy and excitement in the church. In Acts chapter 2, it says, the Christians went from house to house with gladness in their heart. It said they were loving, they were giving, they were worshiping. They were declaring the word of God every, everywhere they went. And there was just so much joy there. But what did we find last week? There was just one problem. One problem. There was so much joy and excitement, but there was so much joy and excitement. What happened? No one wanted to leave. No one wanted to leave Jerusalem. Now again, why was that a problem? Jesus said... Wait, it, wait on, in Jerusalem to be, uh, until you're uh, empowered from on high and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. And verse didn't stop there. There's not a period in Acts 1 verse 8 after Jerusalem. It says, and in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So they were having the time of their life in Jerusalem. And as a result, they weren't budging. They weren't leaving as Jesus had told them to do. All that changed in Acts chapter 7. Stephen, one of the disciples, the new disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, he confronts the religious authority. He just confronts them for their sort of man-made religion that they had established and for resisting the truth. He says in Acts 7.51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your forefathers did. They, they just couldn't stand it. They literally, they stopped up their ears and they went and they stoned the man. They stoned him. They, Stephen, the first Christian put to death for his faith, but they didn't stop with him. A widespread persecution broke out. It says in Acts chapter uh, 8, verse 1, it says that the, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, and they were all scattered uh, into the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then it says in uh, verse 3, it says, As for Saul, he made havoc. Havoc, that word in the Greek, also is used in other places for, uh, in secular Greek literature, for, as the word that was used for a wild boar, a tearing into something. And that's what Saul was doing. He made havoc on the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere to Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and beyond Preaching Christ to them. Who, and, and, and so, 
uh, they leave Jerusalem and, and they go to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, just as Jesus had told them to do. And again, sometimes it takes the Lord turning our life upside down for us to obey Him. Sometimes it takes the Lord utterly, totally shaking up our lives for us to obey Him. If you're in that place this morning, where God has instructed you in the way you should go, and you've just been resisting Him. Oh, receive this word. God is so faithful to get us back on in the path, even the, even when it takes something extreme, like verse three, Saul entering. Every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. That's really, it's a sad testimony that sometimes it takes that for us to obey the Lord. But God's faithful. God has a purpose for our life. He has a purpose for the church. And His purposes will not be frustrated. The question is whether we're going to participate in them. So in verse 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached the Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Verse 8, And there was great joy in that city. Who was Philip? He was the equivalent of what we would call an usher uh, in our church. You read about him in Acts chapter 6. Not a pastor leader, ordinary guy. Used tremendously here uh, by the Lord. And the, and the Bible's so clear, not just pastors and priests. Everyone is to go out and share his kingdom. Philip, a great example of that. So we come to where we are. I started this morning in our scripture, verse 26 says, it says there, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. So there's this big revival going on in uh, in Samaria, Philip, the multitudes are coming and they're believing in Christ. There's much joy there. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Let's repeat that. Now, an angel of the Lord, verse 26, spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. You want me to go to a desert? You must be kidding. There's a revival going on here, Lord. People are coming to Jesus. They are being saved. They're being healed. Miracles are happening. You know, newspapers are showing up and interviewing us, taking pictures, whatever. Is that how Philip responded? Surely this isn't you, Lord. Surely this, this, must, oh, this, this, this must be Satan drawing me away. I mean, obviously, the Lord is using me so much here. Get behind me, Satan. 
You know, actually, the Greek word for desert there in verse 26 in the, is a Greek word, eremos, which is used a lot in the New Testament, 50 times. But rarely is the word eremos ever translated desert. It's almost always translated either wilderness, a desolate place, or a deserted place. Lord, do you want me to go to a deserted place? A place where there are no people? Lord, Lord, surely this is not you talking. Brothers and system, brothers and sisters, rather, welcome to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is so what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is like. I want to talk about that this morning. In John chapter 3, Jesus says about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. The wonderful thing about the life with God. If we are truly in tune to what the Lord is doing in our life. Life is just a wonderful, unpredictable adventure. Our problem So often we put God in a box. We convince ourselves we know precisely what God is going to do, how he's going to do it. We set up a rigid, predictable, boring routine to our life. And we refuse to take one step to the right or the left because we convince ourselves, no, this is how God operates in my life. This is his schedule. That, however, is not the life of a a spirit-led person. I've never met a spirit-led person whose life is characterized by that. And it's not the life that we see of Philip. The Holy Spirit is utterly unpredictable. He loves doing the unexpected in our life. He loves doing the out of the ordinary. He will not be led around by us on a dog leash. He has the right to interrupt us right in the middle of whatever we're doing. If we're going to the right, he can say, go left. If we're going forward, he can say, go backward. He has the freedom to interfere, to inter, uh, override, to uh, completely change the course and direction of our, of our life and make something brand new out of what we're doing. The Holy Spirit takes our life out of that man-made religious activity and he, into, and he turns it into a relationship with God. It has been said... That man's problem is that he digs out channels in the ground, you know, man-made canals, channels in the ground. And then he fills them on the sides with concrete. And, uh, and then he says, you know, come on, river of God, you know, come on down my channel. Come on, come on, come on now, come on, come on. And then he complains when there's a little tiny trickle that goes through the channel. Meanwhile... There's a torrent of God's Spirit in some other place where God wants to channel His blessing. When I was a new Christian, I remember the church I I was in used to schedule revivals. July 1st through July 7th. 
you know, each night, each weekday night, we will have, and then on the weekend, we will have a nightly revival meeting, and we will start at this scheduling the Holy Spirit, you see. Ray Steadman, the well-known pastor, commenting on that practice, said that's like all the weathermen in the country getting together and deciding when the hurricanes will show up. Can you imagine them doing that? We do the same thing, but you can't do that with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. And we need to give the Lord just utter, total, absolute control over the agenda of our day. Of our life. Now, please don't misunderstand me. This does not mean that there is not a God given agenda for our life. Please don't take what I have said and run with that conclusion. We see throughout the book of Acts and Paul's letters that God gave Christians a weekly agenda for meeting once a week to worship and teach the Word of God. If there's anything I've learned from the Word of God, it's to persevere in the calling that God has establishes in our life. And that abundant fruit is experienced by men and women who are willing to go down and lay down their life in an area or, or in a ministry. And that's not what I'm talking about. But what I do mean is this. You, me, we. We need to let, we need to be fully open to God changing our schedule and our agenda. I love Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. We are actually going to be in it tonight. We're in the book of Proverbs. It says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Yes, there's a plan for our life, and we need to persevere in it, but we need the Lord to direct our steps. We need to be open to him. And I've said a lot about this one half of a verse here. <laughs> Actually, it's one full verse, verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, "Go." Uh, rather, it, it says in uh, verse uh, 26, it says, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. I've said a lot about it, but this is just so important that we open up our lives and we just get in tune with the Lord because He will speak with us. You not see a, a visual angel. But the Bible says in Hebrews in chapter 1 that the, 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 the angelic activity is very active in the life of a believer. Angels, the Bible says in Hebrews 1, are given to us as ministering spirits. Ministering spirits to those who God has saved. And, and, and so, you know, one of the reasons I, I love our trips to Haiti is you, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, but you know that the Holy Spirit is working. And, and just because you never know what's going to happen, you have to be just force yourself into this, this place where you're going to be open to whatever the Holy Spirit's doing. I remember one time we were coming down from a mountain. This is about in February of last year. And we stopped off in this uh, city. It's called Fonverette. And something happened. This is always happening there. Either the truck broke down or it was... Uh, we were held up for some reason. A, a flat tire. The road was blocked. 
Who knows? Something like this happens two or three times a day uh, down there. And it's what makes it just so wonderful because we stop and just we're just waiting there. Uh, and after like 45 minutes, we're, someone goes, hey, wait a second. Maybe this is what's supposed to happen. And God has an agenda here that's different than just sitting around looking at our navels. And, and so uh, someone gets out. I guess Rich got out his guitar. Someone else uh, stood up on a bunch of potato sacks and began to teach the word of God. All these people gather around several hundred and just a powerful, powerful thing happened. And it was just, all these mission trips, they're so much about, more about oftentimes what happens to us, where we learn to be open to what God is doing. Because frankly, that's what every day of our life should look like. Okay, I missed the train. Why, Lord? Is there something else that you want for this moment? And and that's what Philip did. Um, He... He actually left the revival and he went to a deserted place. Verse 27, let's continue. It says that he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace. Candace was not her uh, name. Candace was uh, a Nubian word for queen. So where's Candace? Candace, you around? You can call her queen. Where is she? Do we have your permission to do that? She's in the nursery. So you just, when everyone starts calling her queen, she's like, what's going on? Well, hey, I'm B. The Holy Spirit told me that that's really your name. Anyway, of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So, Philip left thousands and thousands of people to go talk to one man. And this is so God. This is so much how the Lord operates. We think of ministry in terms of crowds. Not so. Not the Lord. He always prioritizes the in. Individual, you'd study the life of Christ. You will see this is how he operates. He always prioritizes the one, the individual. I love this, the, the different stories of Christ. You know, he'll be walking around and a blind man uh, will be crying out and people will be telling him to, to be quiet. Uh, the Lord has better things to do. And then all of a sudden, it's just Jesus and the blind man. And it's like there's no one else in the world present except Jesus and the blind man. And that's, that is how the Holy Spirit operates. That's how God operates. Who's this man? He's an Ethiopian. He's an African, almost certainly. He's a black man, the one man, this one man. Or Philip doesn't know this, is going to go down to Africa and he's going to take the good news to an entire continent. We shouldn't try to figure out why the Lord is asking us to do things. He knows full well. He's, he only has the full picture. So um, he, 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 he's going to share with this man uh, that the Savior of the world has come in the flesh. He has lived a perfect life. He's died for our sin. And he was raised again to give him new life. And he's going to take this back to an entire continent, the church in Ethiopia. 
And we have a few Ethiopians in our church. They will tell you the church there, they trace it back to this man, <laughs> this Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8. And so it says that in verse 28, he's sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Verse 29 says, then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So I have a question for you. If the Holy Spirit this week tells you to do something, are you going to hear Him? Would you hear Him? Would you hear the Holy Spirit if He told you to do something? Or have you so crowded out your life or have you crowded God so much out of your life Easy thing to do today. iPods, internet, text messaging, Bluetooth, yellow tooth, pink tooth, whatever. You know, it's just all around us. You know, have we so crowded God out of our life that we don't have the slightest idea that God is sitting right next to us telling us, go do this, go do that. The Bible says that God speaks to us generally not with an audible voice, but with a still small voice. The wonderful news is for every single believer, whether you've been a believer for one day or 80 years, uh, every single believer, if you're in fellowship with the Lord daily, in the word, in prayer, this is a privilege that we have to hear his voice. It says, then the spirit said to Philip, the spirit said, said to Philip. Now listen. There's been a lot of abuse in the body of Christ. People run around saying, God told me this, God told me that. And then the next week they're saying, God told me, I know God told me this and God told me that, but now he's told me this, which happens to be different completely than what he said last week to them. And, 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 you know, when it really isn't God at all, it's them listening to their desire of their own heart. That's sin. That's misrepresenting God. That is a violation of the third commandment. Do not take the Lord, the name of your Lord God in vain. That's a violation of that commandment to do that. We need to be careful before we start throwing it around the name of the Lord. However, please, please, brothers and sisters, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because there's been abuses doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't talk to us. He does. Now listen, the Lord speaks primarily through the Word of God. This should be the bedrock of how to determine God's will for your life. However, He speaks to us in order to give us direction in our life. God, there's not something in the, in the Bible which says, you know, you really go, need to go work for Microsoft rather than Intel. There's nothing in the Bible like that. You need to go and work at Brigham and Women Hospital and not at Beth Israel. It's not in the Bible. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit's guidance. Uh, and, and we need it really every single day. So it says, verse 29, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake 
this chariot. Lord, aren't you going to give me a little bit more detail? Sometimes the Lord doesn't do that. Are you going to tell me what I'm supposed to say to this guy? No, just go. Proceed by faith. And that's what Philip does. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him. This is kind of a funny scene. You know, there's this chariot. This is like running alongside of a, a Mercedes uh, convertible. Uh, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and, and said, Do you, Philip said, Do you understand what you are reading? Now, he heard what he is. Uh, the guy was speaking out loud. It was a very common thing. That's what the rabbis taught people to say. Now, this person was not a Jewish, but he knew enough about um, what was going on in Jerusalem. This is very common, reading Scripture out loud. By the way, this guy is one rich dude, if he can afford at that time an entire scroll, uh, if it was the entire scroll of the book of Isaiah. <laughs> Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. So this man had gone through great lengths to go up to Jerusalem, trip from Ethiopia. And by the way, that's not only... The modern-day Ethiopia, that would be including Sudan and some other areas as well, much larger. The, at that time, the, 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 the geographical region of Ethiopia was much larger than it is today. But it took about 40 to 60 days. He'd take tremendous personal cost to, to get up there. But note the religious system which he found out there, which he found there, rather, provided him nothing. It gave him no life. How many of us have experienced the same thing? We grow up in a religious system. No life. We leave with more questions than answers. That is what happens with this man. He's coming back from Jerusalem. And, and, and really, he, he, he's, just, he's confused. He doesn't know what's going on. He's, you can tell. He's just, I, I don't know it, but I want to know it. Would someone please tell me it? So he says, and how can I unless someone guides me, verse 31, and he asked Philip to come up and, and, uh, and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. This is in Isaiah chapter 53. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Again, that's Isaiah 53. We actually read about that. We read some more different portions of Isaiah 53 last Sunday morning. Uh, All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, it says in Isaiah. It says he was bruised for our transgressions. It says by his, the stripes, meaning the, the lashes of the whip, we are healed. And right as Philip is running up to this guy, he's reading this. 
I mean, think about it. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing, right? If he had just come five minutes earlier, he would have been in Isaiah 51. If he had come uh, five minutes later, he would have been in Isaiah 54. The Holy Spirit really knows what he is doing. In verse 34, it says, So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Because those two verses, it is using the word he. He was, in verse 32 and verse 33, it's using the word he. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. Uh, he opened not his mouth. Who, who is this he? That's what the eunuch is asking. Who is the he? Is he speaking of himself or of another man? Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture and he preached Jesus to him. Didn't preach a religion. Didn't preach about a bunch of rules. He preached Jesus to him. A life. His solution was not in uh, a bunch of rules. His solution was not in a, 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 a religious philosophy. His, the solution to his life, the fulfillment of his life was going to be met by a man. A man, Jesus. He preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? See the Holy Spirit, that's just the sovereign work of God. God knows fully what He is doing in our life. Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Just awesome chapter in scripture about the sovereign work of God and how we can participate in just a wonderful work of God in, in our life. Now it says that in verse 39, now when, this, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. I want to show you something really, really, really cool. The Bible's filled with really, really, really cool things. Let's go to Isaiah. Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah chapter 56. So Isaiah is a, go to the middle of the Bible and go to the right. About, oh, a hundred pages or something like that. Isaiah chapter 56. Everybody there? Isaiah chapter 56. Now, so many of these chapters in Isaiah uh, are prophetic. They speak about Jesus Christ. And that, and Isaiah 53, remember, was what the eunuch was reading when Philip came up. But it says the eunuch, Philip took off, or the Holy Spirit whisked him away. And it says the eunuch went off rejoicing. What do you think, what do you think he did uh, in the rest of his journey? What do, you think, what do you think the first thing he did after Philip took off? He continued reading, right? He, he continued reading. I just want to read for you this 
extremely unique verse. There's really not a, another verse like it that I know of. Feel free to go do your homework and come back and prove me wrong. But this amazing verse here in chapter 56, which he would have come upon reading, who knows, a half hour after Philip was gone. He's in his chariot. Let's read chapter 56. Let's just start with verse 1. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness is about to be revealed. That is speaking of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who we had just talked about in um, chapter 53. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold of it. Lays hold of what? Lays hold of faith in Christ, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath, who keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of a foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak saying the Lord has utterly separated me from his people nor let the eunuch wow nor let the eunuch say here I am a dry tree in other words don't let someone who is outside of Israel who comes there and don't let a eunuch say oh I don't have any part in this God I don't have any part in the worship of this of the one true living God. Do not let them say that, Isaiah is saying. And then he goes on and says in verse 4, For thus says the Lord to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath and chooses what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name, better than that of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now, remember what Jesus says. He says that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, the Bible says, is our Sabbath. And here is this, this um, eunuch. All of a sudden, you know, he, he leaves. It says rejoicing. And then he just goes into Scripture and he's like, wow, I can't believe this. Verse 6 says, also the son of, uh, uh, of the foreigner who joined themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to, to be his servant. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast to my covenant. Remember, Jesus is our Sabbath, the Bible says. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. And so you can just imagine now with this. The Bible says that once we receive the Holy Spirit, which happened to this eunuch, he, he rece- once we receive the Holy Spirit, we're now enlightened to what the, the word of God means. And he's able just to take this and embrace it. What a, a wonderful story of what can happen in the life of any individual, in the life of you, if you're willing to yield yourself to the voice of the Holy Spirit, if you're willing to to set aside time each day for the reading of God's Word, for prayer, and just just opening yourself up to to what the Lord uh, wants to do in your life. I want to just close with this story. You know, I... Actually, have a, a, a st- I have my own, uh, maybe not as dramatic, but pretty dramatic story about uh, going uh, and and sharing with a, an Ethiopian eunuch um, 
when the Bible, the, the, before this church began, we were a Bible study in our living room, and we just began with four or five people. It was that size for probably a year or two. And um, we there, about three months after the Bible study uh, started, I was up playing basketball on the top of Mission Hill uh, in Boston, and I like to do that kind of stuff um, uh, to try to... Uh, just start relationships or just a, a way to, to start sharing with someone. And um, unfortunately, I, I can't do that stuff as much anymore as I, I used to. But uh, there was a guy up there playing uh, by himself, and uh, he was a guy by the name of Andrew. And I just start, you know, sharing with the guy. And uh, I invited him down to get a drink at uh, at, at our house after, and he came to our house, and uh, and we just started getting to know each other. And then a couple of weeks later, I saw him again. I just started talking to him about the Lord. And he was from Poland. He knew, I'm sure he knew nothing about born again. He was sort of dyed in wool, wool Catholic kind of guy, and did not know. Uh, he knew about a religious system. But he did not know about a relationship with Jesus. So I invited him to the Bible study. He, he came to the Bible study after three or four weeks. He, uh, he uh, asked Jesus into his life. He was wonderfully saved. He was around for a couple months. Uh, and he went back to Poland. And, and I said, look, you know, when you go back, just find a church who, which teaches the Bible. Well... Uh, a couple of years later, I start getting emails from this guy, and he would send me these emails. He, what he did when he went back, he found a church, he started growing there, and he got a, you know, he, he, he really felt he, that God's call in his life to start a gospel choir. So he gathered 50 people to start a gospel choir, and this gospel choir is, is sort of one of these truly rocking and jamming things. I mean, if you, if you don't know this, like places like Japan, they fill up auditoriums with unbelievers just because they like the music. Well, he got the same vision for Poland. He starts sending me these emails with about auditoriums just filled with people. And his whole method was he rocked and jammed for two hours with gospel, but then he invited everyone to a, a workshop after and at the workshop, they taught them, you know, about the gospel music, but also they taught them about the gospel. And you can go to his website, Gospel Joy Poland. Go there. You can find it every year now. Eight to ten concerts a year. They, they uh, reach up to 10,000 people in the workshops alone. Not to mention these things. And so these emails are coming in and I'm just laughing. I've got, is this like make-believe or what? This is crazy. I mean, here I, there's this little Polish Billy Graham. And I, I led the guy to the Lord in, in Michanel. And, 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 and one day, he, you know, a, a couple years ago, he shoots me an email. And he goes, about all this crazy, wonderful stuff going on. And he goes, you know, Steve, you do realize, right? If you hadn't led me to the Lord, none of this would be taking place. 
And I wrote back, and I said, Andrew, this is great all the stuff that's happened to you, but don't be so foolish to think that if I didn't do what I was called to do, that the Lord is relying on me to accomplish his purposes. He would have used someone else to share with you. And he just wrote back and he said, you're right, stupid comment. The Lord had a purpose and and and, and uh, he, he's accomplishing it now. And that, now these guys have gone like international. It's crazy. I'm just telling you, it's, it's, it's wonderful and it's very, very humbling. But that is the kind of an excitement and joy and adventure that the life of Christ is about. It can be like. Now those come around once every 20 years, something like that happens. Uh, um, you know, and, and usually it's not something like that. It's, it, it, it's, it, but it it's always involves one person at your work, on your, at your, on your playground, your school or whatever, your family. Your relatives are a living, breathing mission field that the Lord wants you to reach. And just what a, remember what the book of Acts is. I, I keep on saying this. I sound like a broken record. It's the record of what the church is supposed to look like today. It's not this curiosity about what the church looked like 2,000 years ago. It's what the church is supposed to look like today. Praise the Lord for the wonderful adventure that we have uh, in Christ. Why doesn't the worship team come up? We'll close in prayer. Father, I just thank you uh, for uh, this time uh, together that we can read about this wonderful adventure that we can have in Christ. And I just pray for everyone in this room, Lord, to... this week, Father, that they would get alone with you. Lord, no cell phones, no Blackberries, no Bluetooth, no internet, Lord, for a, a, a period of time, Lord, each day, just to read your word, and that your word would become a bedrock, a foundation in their life. And you would teach them, Lord, what the still, small voice sounds like. And Father, we thank you just for the privilege of being able to participate in what you're doing on this earth. Who are we, Lord? Who is man that you are mindful of him? We don't understand all those things, Lord, but we do know and believe your word, which says that you created us, Lord, to enjoy us. We love you for that, Lord, and you created us, Lord, to to pass on the life that you've given us, Father. Empower us to do that. Father, I just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to close with a, a worship song. I just want to encourage by...